On the Grindhouse Girls podcast, we discuss all things spoopy, scary, and strange. Some content may be disturbing or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Grindhouse Girls friends and fam. Picture it, a young man grows up in Virginia in the 1980s. He makes movies on a VHS camcorder and Super 8. He joins a punk rock band when he's a little older. He graduates high school and goes to film school, but still keeps in touch with all of his old buddies. Eventually, this young man would decide to make a movie with those same buddies. Granted, they had no money and no investors, but they did have a dream. And despite a disappointing reception, what would become a cult classic called Murder Party was born. Coming back from a sophomore feature, the same young man tried a new approach for funding. He created a Kickstarter campaign that would become widely successful and create what would become his most critically successful film, Blue Ruin, a movie that allowed him to put his best friend, Macon Blair, from childhood in a starring role. Coming back for his third film, though, our director decided he wanted to do something a little different, to go back to his punk rock roots and fulfill the urge to direct a thriller around a central location, a green room. Casting was critical, and in the process, two amazing actors were chosen. One, an incredible talent that would be taken away from us way too soon, and another actor, an old pro that has been knighted and also has his own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. The actors, the late and great Anton Yelchin and the one and only Sir Patrick Stewart. The director, Jeremy Saulnier, and the movie, Green Room. This is the Grindhouse Girls Podcast. There we go. Yay! Oh, by the way, we have a special guest this week, guys. Howdy, howdy. Hi! This is our friend Dalton. I, I'm, I'm the Dalton that everyone hears about. <laughs> friend and yes. longtime listener. Friend and longtime listener, yeah. I've been listening to you guys since the first episode, which I'm blanking Aww. on what, what movie it even was at this hereditary. point. Hereditary. And Midsummer. Yeah, it was Hereditary, which is... Hereditary was... One of my favorites, um, it's the one movie that, like, out of everything, you know, has kind of changed my entire perspective on uh, modern horror. So, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I, I didn't even know the name of the director going into it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it's a good one. I love it. I love it. Is. It is. It's, it's to- so good. I-, I agree with the statements that were made in the Misery episode that uh, Tony Collette was robbed. Oh, yeah. She was. She was, she was yeah. amazing. It's one of the reasons we started this podcast because people avoid horror because they're like, "Oh, it's too scary to be legit, like movie theater, or whatever." And I'm like, "No, did you see yeah. that scene in Hereditary? Don't tell me that's not the best acting well, you've ever seen." Hereditary ushered in uh, what we now uh, is a new horror genre of grief horror, uh, but it's kind of elevated horror storytelling past like slashers. And it kind of like makes you look deep inside yourself. And I, I love that. A lot of my favorite movies now kind of follow that whole makeup of brief horror. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really cool. So yeah, we, we that's the great thing about horror movies. We keep seeing the genre also evolve and adapt over time. And yeah. it reflects people's fears. I was talking to Katie. I read this really interesting article where they said, you know, our parents, um, their, their horror movies, they were afraid of things like, 
maybe the boogeyman are uh, clowns, but Halloween. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we are scared. Our things are more concrete. Like the fear we have is more of a fear of the unknown, our death, our grief, or like losing our parents. And it's. Well, I yeah. mean, like I, I would say that that's the reason why a movie, like in my opinion, Midsummer works because if you've mm-hmm. ever had any kind of loss in your life. And I know there's some people that death affects them differently. You know, some people yeah. aren't so heavily affected by it. But a movie like Midsummer, just the few scenes you see where Florence Pugh is oh genuinely grieving. Yeah. Where yeah. she's genuinely grieving. That scene where she's sobbing in her partner's arms. Mm-hmm. And the worst part about that entire scene is, is you know while she's doing that, he's already emotionally gone from that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. He's been gone... He's been gone for months, and now she is actually truly alone in just that scene, mm-hmm. and it's just her. And you know, I, I we've we've talked like outside of the podcast, we've talked about Midsummer, and my feelings Midsummer. on it is, it, it's it's the it's the way a cult can indoctrinate someone that is at their weakest and at their lowest. Because that cult provides someone there. The scene where they're all around her when she's sobbing yeah. and she's upset yeah. and she's crying. And they're crying with her. And everyone else get yeah, it's there it's a way of manipulating her mm-hmm. into it's mirroring. their mindset, into the mentality. It's it's showing her you're not alone now when she's felt alone this entire mm-hmm. you know, since her parents have been gone, since her sister's been gone, she's felt alone. And again, it, it works so well because of the loss if you've ever experienced something like that, you know, be yeah. it a re- the death of a relationship in one manner, which is what that movie talks about, or the death of a loved one or a family member. And I've, I've always personally loved that about that grief horror genre. But today uh, I'm glad that I've seen hereditary and Midsummer both because they're, Two coins of the same head, yeah. or, or however yeah. you say it. Two sides they're, of the same coin. The same yeah. film. Yeah, two two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. And they really just, they complement each other. Because I th- feel like you always look at cults and you always look at something like Jonestown or Heaven's Gate. And you go, how do these people get there? And then Midsummer shows you how those people can get yeah, there. Yeah, it's so yeah. easy. Speaking it, of themes, like, that's another thing with Jeremy Saulnier is, did you know that he calls Green Room the third in his trilogy of clusterfuck films? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, it's the clusterfuck trilogy. You know, Edgar I mean, Wright has the Cornetto, he is the clusterfuck. Because it's like normal <laughs> people in, like, crazy heightened stressful situations. And how would a normal person deal with dealing with neo-nazis or going to oh, a yeah. murder yeah. party so what of uh what did you guys get to watch this week uh when it came to uh this thanksgiving kind of holidays or did you guys get to watch anything <laughs> i already know one thing that katie watched that i'm excited to talk about but um i will be honest <laughs> i didn't get to watch a lot uh I did watch season two of tiger king uh katie knows my opinions on that it's like i just i watched that for too the animals yeah. Oh my gosh. I I had to te- I I didn't even even finish that first season cuz I think it was like episode 3 or 4 but I just went I'm depressed watching this. Yeah. This isn't like funny cuz uh funny enough last podcast actually way way before the Tiger King mm-hmm. series came out had covered the Joe Exotic stuff mm. and I was done with it then. Yeah. And then it got like the series everyone's like talking about I'm like 
They're all terrible people, and yeah. the people I feel the worst for are the people that are being exploited by Joe Exotic mm-hmm. and the people that are being exploited by Carol Baskin. Mm-hmm. And, like, the break in the story this week, or, like, what was it, two weeks ago, where they're like, oh, yeah, his her husband may actually be alive. And I'm like, what? 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 <laughs> yeah, and that's, it's, like, one of those things that's like, you fun? continue watching it. I mean, I've watched, I've watched the whole thing, and I will say, and this is spoilers, guys, yeah. for Tiger King Season 2, but you do see spoilers. that... The animals are taken, uh, some of the animals are taken from this very particular bad man, Sue, and they are, they're taken elsewhere. So I'm glad that at least some of the animals, I wish there was more animals that got saved, but at least some of them were saved, which it, it kind of booked yeah. in at least kind of a happy ending. Uh, I, I was also, watching it we were, while I was cooking. Did the, remember mm. the guy with all the wives, did he ever show back up in season no, two? No, he wasn't, he wasn't in season two. Yeah, uh, so culty. No, the, uh, I think. After the first season came out, um, he essentially, I think, disband like denounced the entire series because it made him look so bad. Yeah, because he is a bad I mean, person. <laughs> the, I, I I'm also a sucker for like animation. Like, you know, you you may hear me like my favorite animation of all time or animated movie of all time is now Into the Spider Verse. Oh just because my! It is so okay, so. It's, it's a masterpiece. Literally, 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 you can hear Katie. I say this sometimes. It's very hard for me to pick a favorite movie, but usually if someone's like, just pick something, I usually always throw out When Harry Met Sally or Into the Spider-Verse. It's my favorite movie. It's it's just such a, it's a perfect movie, and it's one of those ones that, like, I think out of any Stan Lee cameo to, it has the best one. Yes. I will stand and die on that hill to the <laughs> end of time. Okay. Because of how, how number one, the time it came out, because sadly, that was the last real, in my opinion, good Stanley cameo. Because his one in Endgame was just kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. his one where he looks at Miles and goes, it'll fit, it'll fit eventually. eventually. Yeah. Aww. Oh, being someone that has been a Marvel fan my entire life, it's like, the <laughs> you know, and it, of course it has the clever little joke to go with it. I get emotional still talking about it, because uh, it's just like... I uh, no no I'm sorry I didn't oh, mean to cut you off. So I love no, you're fine, you're fine. I love the What's Up Danger sequence, which is where Miles. Oh, so oh, good. It's so when he's falling, the camera the camera angle is reversed because it's, he's falling, but he's yeah. not really falling. He's rising. He's rising to be yeah. Spider Man, right? And so, oh, so I good. saw that in theaters on New Year's Day. And then as soon mm-hmm. as it came to DVD, I bought it. And my nephew was down here. And I still cry thinking about this. Like, I get teary-eyed. But uh, Dr- Jaden finished watching it. Jaden's my younger nephew. He finished watching it. He goes, yeah. wow, that movie makes me feel like I can be Spider-Man. And, like, I went yes. And I still feel like. I said, me too, but it's like, when I watch it, I still Oh, I get it. Aww. Like, yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of like. It's kind of like uh, the PS4 Spider-Man game. They have that <laughs> Stanley cameo on that one too, where it's like Mary Jane and Spider-Man are sitting in like a restaurant, and it cuts over to Stanley, and he just goes, "You two were always my favorite." And I'm like, because oh. I also played that. I was playing that game like right after Into the Spider-Verse came out, and again, Stanley's death was still super fresh. Mm-hmm. So it was just like every time I saw him, I'm like, oh, "Man, that hurts." Yeah, because yeah. it's like. Okay, segueing to, like, being sad about somebody passing away, like Stanley. So, as you all know, Britt and I studied theater, and my degree is in musical theater. Stephen Sondheim meant a lot to me. I might cry. I hope I don't. 
Um, so one, Stephen, they had a tribute in, on in Times Square, and they all sang Sunday, and yeah. it's a beautiful song um, from Sunday in the Park with George, and, and it was on a Sunday. Oh god! And like the lyrics are like on a Sunday, on an ordinary Sunday, and then they just sing. It's great. Um, so I let my <laughs> my emotional self watch Tick Tick Boom finally last night. Oh, so good. Um, which is why I didn't watch Green Room for a fourth time because I was like, I need to watch Tick Tick Boom, and I did, and I forgot how much Stephen Sondheim pops up. In it, because, yeah. like, they don't say his full name in the musical, but I guess he gave permission for him to be in the movie. And his actual voice is the recording, by the way. The voice recording yeah, that, that he leaves Jonathan is actually Stephen Sondheim. And I didn't realize how close they were until I, like, reread it, and I because i just forgotten. And, like, so there's another song in Tick, Tick, Boom. Dalton, have you seen Tick, Tick, Boom yet? I have not. It is on my list now okay. because um, I've watched a lot of the press stuff that uh, Gar- Andrew Garfield has oh, done. Oh, yeah. It's- Andrew Garfield talking about the movie. He I, was the perfect It's choice. one of the things that, you know. He was great. Uh, with the new Spider-Man movie coming out and everyone ta- <laughs> you know, asking him, like, hey, are you in it? Are you in it? And he's, like, trying to just be, like, the story behind, like, he couldn't sing before he did this movie. And he learned how to sing, and then at the same time he was filming this movie, his grandmother passed away. His mom. I think it was his mother. It was one of the two. It was either his grandmother or his mom Mm -hmm. passed away. And so he's, like, dealing with a lot of this emotional stuff, and it's like, I feel bad for him because everyone wants to go, so, um, about Spider-Man. Yeah, fuck off. And I'm like, let the man man be him, please. Jonathan Larson wrote Brent. He also, um, there's already early Oscar buzz for Andrew Garfield as Jonathan Larson, which I wholeheartedly support because he makes Jonathan lovable, but very human. Yeah. Like, yeah, because Jonathan was not the best person, but I love him. But he did some shady shit when it comes to rent and rights and things because he kind of like used people to help write the book part of it. And the idea, and then he, a bunch of people took his estate to court afterwards, which that sucks. But, like, I think it was more of, like, he didn't really understand. A lot of people, like, when they're, like, creative, they don't really look at the fine print. And they're like, oh, legality, I don't really care. Um, But what I was saying was, so there's a song in Tick, Tick, Boom. where, And they use it for a bunch of cameos of a bunch of really great Broadway actors. Some of which people will recognize and some people won't. Um, including three of the original cast of Rent, uh, including Daphne Rubin Vega, um, yep. who was in In the Heights um, recently. But so basically he wrote another song called Sunday that is a parody of Stephen Sondheim Sunday. And that got me in the feels because everyone's singing this pair. But he changes it to be about the diner he works at, like the lyrics. But it sounds almost exactly like Sunday. Like it's just different enough that it's not yeah. ripping off of it, but it's an insp- And then I like was like crying, like when you find out about something happens with one of his friends, and then that get- and that song always gets me. But I'm just like, oh no! And then like Stephen Sondheim leaves him a voicemail to like tell him to keep writing, and I'm gonna cry. And all I can think about is Jonathan Larson and Stephen Sondheim are in heaven, like or the afterlife, Aww. whatever you believe in, like making music together, and like I was like Gizmo. Stephen, and like poor Gizmo's just like, what the fuck's wrong with you? I was like, you do not understand. Stephen Sondheim, 
Stephen Sondheim is probably the most important musical theater writer of our generation. Um, not yeah. to, you know, he changed how you act through singing. And he had this insight into the human psyche. And, I, and he wrote characters of all genders and orientations and lifestyles so human and so real with such, like, love and care. And I don't even know how to thank him. And, like, I've been blessed that I've done – my first lead was in a, his – like, one of his first musicals was Funny Thing Happened Only the Forum – in high school, and I was so happy. But I in, in college, I got to play my dream role of the baker's wife in Into the Woods. And so, like, I've been really sad about Sondheim dying. Yeah. But he was 91. Was. And, and But the thing is, is that he was ugh. 91, but there was no mention of him having, like, ill health. Like, he literally died the day after Thanksgiving. He celebrated Thanksgiving with his friends. And he got to see um, the revival of Company come back to Broadway. Yeah. He went and saw it, like, a couple weeks before he passed away. Because they have a video that's circulating on TikTok of him going, and everyone's like, it's Steve. I oh, think, I so think anyways. It's really emotional. I think it's really emotional, too, because obviously Lin-Manuel Miranda, we, we know Lin-Manuel. Oh, that was the other thing, yes. Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah. We know him because of Hamilton, and then he directed Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, he and he job. had talked to Steven, and he was good like, job. you know, he was like, look, like, look at what you've done, and uh, referencing Tick, Tick, Boom, and Steven Sondheim said, Oh, thank you so much. He goes, I hope I can just give a little bit back of what Oscar gave me talking about. Yes, because, because, okay, can we talk about how I just told someone at work, I was like, this is the lineage of musical theater. So Lin-Manuel Miranda has changed musical theater again by incorporating modern music into um, musical theater in a very like syncopated, just amazing way. Um, and I, I sometimes am overly critical about Lin-Manuel Miranda, but he is a super talented person, and I think he did an amazing job with Tick, Tick, Boom. I just, I loved it. I loved it in the Heights, the movie adaptation, which he didn't direct, but he had a really heavy hand in it, and I have loved both of those. And obviously Hamilton in the Heights are great. Um, but, uh, Jonathan Larson did that with Rent. No one wanted a rock opera. Nobody wanted a rock musical. And Jonathan Larson was like, well, this is what people like, and this is how I'm going to write it. And Stephen Sondheim did that. But Oscar Hammerstein, because Stephen Sondheim lived down the street from him as a kid. And, like, he, Rodgers and Hammerstein changed musical theater, too. So it's just like, I'm just like, oh, my God, all these amazing people. And I'm just bawling my eyes out. I know it's stupid, but when you are. It makes total sense. If If you love theater, you know how important Stephen Sondheim was to theater. Like, it is undeniable the impact he had. I mean, no, every theater kid collectively probably, I know I was in the car with Taylor and I was checking Facebook and I saw someone post the article that he had passed away. And I literally audibly went, oh, no, 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 no. I was like, not Steve. Because it's one of those things. You expect it. He he's he was elderly. Yeah. You, you know it's coming, but you didn't want it to come because he was such yeah. a phenomenal being. I will say the the only other thing I did watch, which is t- just funny, was I I'm almost done with season two of you because yes! I needed to get my brain <laughs> off of it. I haven't finished season two. I have like two more episodes, but I'm like it's this show is pleasure. ridiculously dumb. 
I love Isn't it. Isn't it? But you, you keep watching it, don't you? Yes. Like that. It's stupid, but you have to keep I watching it. I love it. it. Like, <laughs> it's obsessive. It is. I mean, like I said, I was going through a traumatic <laughs> breakup and I was gaslit when I was watching it the first time. And I was like, oh my God, I can't do it. Now I'm like oh, a year and a half later. I'm like, yeah, fuck him. Fuck her. They're all terrible. So, but it's great. <laughs> They're, all it. Kill them all, Joe. They're all terrible. Most of them are pretty terrible um, in that show, but like not like Joe's the worst, but then like yeah, Joe's the worst. they make him sympathetic in a, a little bit because like he does have humanity, but I'm like, that does not excuse what you do, sir. But exactly, you need a, a really good therapist, one that you won't, frame for murder spoilers um, um also john stamos <laughs> random cameo i was like john stamos what the fuck are you doing in here dalton what have you watched or what have you been playing i know because we know obviously uh, you do video games so um so the video game that i actually replayed through this last week um was inspired by uh my first watching of this movie uh <laughs> that we're going to be discussing today uh i played wolfenstein the new order again because i haven't picked that one up for a very long time um and gotta say still really like that game it's uh it's as uh as brad pitt's character from inglorious bastards would say uh it's fun <laughs> just killing nazis still kill some nazis nazis but um Besides that, I've been um, – so my goal this year was to beat a lot of games on uh, my Steam list because I have this thing where Plug I buy stuff. way too many games and then never get around to them. Um, so, like, you know, I'm just going to do a quick rundown of, like, my top five of the year because th- this is December. I don't think there's going to be anything I'm going to play that's really going to top tackle my top five. Uh, I played Fallout New Vegas for the first time. Cried at the end of that game. Got very emotional because I invested, like, way too many hours into that one. Uh, played Psychonauts uh, for the first time ever. Loved it. Doom Eternal is my number three. Wolfenstein The New Order and Resident Evil 2 uh, Remake is up there as well. Um, but, like, I've played uh, 23 games uh, total this year, beating them. Uh, some of them are these massive open world games, so I dump, you know dozens of hours into them so it's been a little bit difficult keeping up like i had a few that i think one of which took about 80 hours to beat like fallout new vegas i i that became like a time hole for me but like the best kind of experience ever because i love fallout. i got immersed into that world i don't watch a ton of movies because most of my other time is spent gaming um which if anyone's interested i do post gaming content under the name uh, infernal anatomy on tiktok and on instagram uh, if you're interested i appreciate the stuff but the biggest thing i always say about the content i make is i make content that i enjoy making and i don't really make it for anyone else like and i don't mean that as a mean thing like I make the content that I like to make because I enjoy making it. And the day that I don't enjoy it anymore is the day I stop making that content. Like, you know, I post stupid memes because my friends and I make memes together. Like, you know, I have a buddy that edits some of my stuff. Uh, Shout out to my friend Patrick, who uh, actually has done a lot of the editing recently. Um, But yeah, if you guys like want to check anything like that out, uh, I'd appreciate it a whole ton. And um, also keep listening to, uh, Brittany and Katie because they're incredible what they've Aww, done and watching them grow so much from you know what was it last year when you guys started last uh, two years this April if you can believe it 
yeah, so almost two years ago, they, like it's so cool to see the changes that they've made and the quality of life improvements to the show that they've made. Um, so yeah, just lo- lots of lots of love Thank and respect you. for them Thank too. Because yeah, of course. So I chose the movie for this week. Yes, um, it is Green Room, uh, starring Anton Yelchin and Patrick Stewart or Sir Patrick Stewart. Um, <laughs> So, uh, I guess this is the point where we get into the synopsis, correct? Yes. We can give some background first, though, if we want to. Yeah, so this was written and directed by Jeremy Solnay. This movie came out in 2015. It is streaming on Showtime, by the way. I do want to say yes. that before we forget. It is streaming on Showtime. This is the second movie of his we've done on the podcast. Um, yes. In 2007, he wrote and directed Murder Party. We did that one as well. It was his directorial debut. Um, in 2013, he wrote and directed Blue Ruin, which was a critically acclaimed film. Katie seen it. Yes. I, I hate to admit it. I have not seen it's it amazing. yet. It's on my list. He also, uh, after Green Room, he followed up with Hold the Dark in 2018, which had... Mm-hmm. A screenplay by Macon Blair, and Macon Blair's been his best friend since childhood. So I think it's cool yeah. that they have collaborated on multiple projects. Also, fun fact, guys, he directed two episodes of season three of True Detective. And True since Detective! you um, since you mentioned Mahershala Ali, that's Mahershala the season Ali's. that Mahershala Ali is in. So. Yeah. Uh, so now let's. Uh, I say we kind of jump into the synopsis of the movie. Yeah. Um, so this is. The, this is your last chance, uh, spoiler warning, uh, after Spoilers. we kind of read this. Green Room is about a struggling punk band, the Ain't Rights, that are barely making it. They are given a last-minute show opportunity while in Portland, Oregon, to play at a skinhead bar to make enough money to make it home. After they finish their set, Pat, played by Anton Yelchin, goes into the Green Room to tre- retrieve a fellow bandmate's phone, in which he stumbles across a murder. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. Yep. Do we kind of want to start with like the first scene of this film yeah. where we kind of come across the band? Because I think it does a good job of setting up the situation they're in. Yes. The vocalist is passed out while driving and they're crashing like the middle of this cornfield. Apparently they were like, it was the m- most relaxing day to film because they had to buy several acres of cornfield to film on it. And how about, it's also the first thing we see is like it's an A24 film, which I'm like, yes! Um, but there's uh-huh. this, it's filmed in this, yeah. it's filmed in like a, the movie's beautiful. It has like a green kind of tint to the movie mm-hmm. too. Yeah. So yeah. it's really pretty. Um, well, I think, I think it does a really good job of also capturing kind of like, I mean, when you think of that area that they're in, cause they're in Portland or they're in Oregon for most of the movie mm-hmm. and Oregon is a very green, pretty state, and I think the kind of color hue they use really does complement the beauty of it. And, like, I know it definitely also kind of shows how when they're in the uh, the city, when they meet Tad, uh, which Tad <laughs> is kind of, kind of integral to the plot. Um, Tad is a radio DJ, but he – is it a college radio station, if I'm correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, like, a college radio DJ – who gets them a sh- has their show booked originally and they actually can't play at that venue and end up playing at like this shitty Mexican restaurant. Yeah, it's great. It's hilarious like, "Oh yeah, we paid you with rice and beans." Yeah, it's like, "Oh, great." Um, I love the dynamic between the band because you immediately get it like Dalton was saying. So we've got Pat, who we already said is Anton Yelchin. Yelkin or Yelchin, I can never remember which one is right, but... It's, um, it's Yelchin. Pat is the bassist, um, and he's kind of the voice of the band. He seems pretty responsible um, compared to most of the yeah. other ones. 
Um, if you don't know Anton Yelchin, uh, he tragically died, as we mentioned in the intro, um, right after this movie wrapped. Um, and he's been in Alpha Dog, Charlie Bartlett. He was Charlie Bartlett. Uh, he played Kyle Reese in Terminator Salvation. He was Chekhov in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek films. He was also in this great horror movie, with which I think Willem Dafoe is in it, that I saw on Netflix called Odd Thomas, yep, which is Odd very Thomas. sad but really good. Um, he's also in Only Lovers Left Alive and Thoroughbreds, which are two movies that are on my list that I haven't watched. Um, uh, like then we Crazy, seeing, too. Like Crazy okay. was a big one of his, yeah. The next person who helps... Um, Pat and Sam, who is originally a male character in the script, I actually did find the script for this one, funnily enough, and I read, like, the beginning of it, and um, when Aaliyah Shawcott came on the scene, um, Jeremy Sonia just liked how she brought personality to this role, and so he cast her. You probably know her face. She was on Arrested Development. She's maybe. Uh, she's currently in Search Party. Um, she was on one of my favorite childhood shows called State of Grace, Whip It, Transparent, The Runaways, and she plays Alexander Hamilton, I think, in Drunk History yes, and several other parts of Drunk History. Uh, she's great. Sam is the lead guitarist and the only girl in the band. She's also extremely responsible, too, and she and Pat actually go to siphon gas, which in the script, there's a lady in a minivan who interrupts them and is like, y'all, I would have given you the gas if you had just asked. And they're like, oh my god, I'm so sorry, mom. And she's, or ma'am. And they're like, she's like, it's okay. Just go with Crass. And they're like, uh, uh, okay. Uh, I wanted to bring up, since we are officially in Oscar season too, um, that she is Madeline Pugh and being the Ricardos. And Madeline Pugh was a writer for I okay. Love Lucy. So she's still doing her thing. And obviously being yeah. the Ricardos, it's getting early Oscar talk. So wanted to throw that out there. So Then we've got Reese who is the drummer, um, who also practices jiu-jitsu. Reese is played by Joe Cole, who is a British actor. He was in Peaky Blinders. He was on an episode of Black Mirror. Uh, he was also in a show called Pure and an upcoming movie called Against the Ice with Nikolai Coster-Waldo, a.k.a. Jamie Lannister, who he wrote the movie and he's in it. So I'm like, oh, I want to see uh, Jamie Lannister's movie. Um, and then we've got Tiger, who is the one that left the fan on all night um he's the lead singer he's kind of impulsive and doesn't have any forethought he's got blue hair um which is really they all look kind of similar so that's really like i was like he has the blue hair he's the unique looking man of the three um and then uh he's played by callum or Callum turner who's also a british actor uh he was on ripper street which is a really good show if you haven't seen it it's great um, Queen and Country, he's in Fantastic Beasts, uh, The Crimes of Grindelwald, and the 2016 Assassin's Creed, and he was Frank Churchill in The New Emma with Anya Taylor-Joy, which I thoroughly enjoyed, but uh, I guess not everybody liked it. I thought it was cute. It was interesting, but I'm a, I'm a big Jane Austen person. But yeah, that's the band. They're called the Ain't Rats, um, or the Aren't Rights. They don't really care. Um, and you mentioned the siphoning gas scene. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I personally just find that really funny because, you know, it sticks to the, oh yeah, we're so punk rock, we're dirt poor. Cause yeah. it plays into the interview they have with Tad where yes. he's kind of like, oh yeah, you guys don't have any social media presence. And it's really <laughs> funny because, you know, this whole idea and this whole ideal of being so punk that you don't 
like have a social media present you know you're so underground they're yeah. talking about printing on vinyl which like you listening to it or watching the movie in the year 2021 go oh yeah that's like really profitable but like you got to think when this movie came out the vinyl scene wasn't as big as it was like it was a very niche thing for people to collect but it was never like this huge market until I would say probably about 2018, 2019 is when it really picked up. Cause that's when a lot of popular artists started doing it. Yeah. It was all, the but this band kind of follows this. It's follows like the old, like punk rock thing where a lot of these like early on punk bands wouldn't record stuff or they wouldn't, yeah. um, they wouldn't record stuff or when they did, they were already no longer bands and things like that. So I kind of appreciate that. And the fact that they don't have a social media presence kind of gets them in the Fuck. shit. Yeah. Cause than, no one's going to yeah, know it if gets they're them, gone. It gets them, it gets them in more shit than anything else. Yeah. I was going to, uh, I was going to let you do tads and I was going to then ask you guys, uh, what your desert Island band would be. <gasps> yes. Um, so Tad's, uh, played by David W. Thompson, um, who was on A Christmas Story 2, which is terrible, but I was like, okay, I've heard of that. He was also in Blue Ruin, and I can't remember which part he was, um, but he was also in Fear Street Part 1, and he played Ryan. Ryan. Was, was Ryan the douchebag boyfriend or the friend that got murdered at the end? Ryan's the, Ryan's the first killer in the mall. That yeah, he, yeah, that he's the first guy. killer in the mall. Okay, I was I was trying to yeah. play some, and apparently he's on the boys too. He also plays a scarecrow in Gotham, which I've never seen Gotham. Oh, okay, but yeah, I haven't but seen it yet. That, but... I, everyone knows who Jonathan Crane slash Scarecrow is. So I did think it was really funny that like the night before the interview, they stay at Tad's house, and um, they turn on some music, and Pat goes to bed, and everyone else is like, "We're gonna stay up drinking," and he gets marker drawn all over his face, but. When they go to bed, there's this music and that you hear, and it's one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. In the script, it's leaving from Clue, who played Mr. Body in Clue, but he's a punk rocker who, I, which I didn't know this when I was a child and I saw Clue with the band Fear. Then we get kind of the next scene after this interview. Uh, Tad originally had them set up to play a gig. Um, what, what was it at, uh, the student center or something like that? That sounds about right. And he was like, oh yeah, you know, the last time we had a show at this student center, there was a fecal matter incident, I think is <laughs> what he refers to it as. A lot of and blood so and some just... fecal matter, I think is what he says. And so, you know, the band finds out that, oh, they're not going to be playing this gig and they're like kind of pissed off with Tad because they're yeah, like, they don't have money no, to this get is gas. supposed to be like our money. And... Tad's like, no, no, I got a backup. And they end up playing at this Mexican restaurant <laughs> that's just like half full. And he's like, Tad's like, yeah, you know, they get house gets their cut, but you guys get lunch too. And I think they, so they play the show. And one of the biggest things that I kind of appreciate about this movie is most of the time when the band is playing and they show kind of, you know, them performing, it's silent. There's only two scenes where you really get it. And it's kind of, where they're setting up in the Mexican restaurant where they're playing. Um, and the vocalist, uh, which I keep blanking on his name. What's his name? Tiger. Time? Tiger. Ti- Tiger tells wow. this guy to stop recording the show because they mentioned the fact that like music is supposed to be experienced <laughs> yeah. live. And he literally just looks at this guy recording and goes, turn that shit turn that off. Shit off. And then like it, and it kind of cuts, you know, 
And then it just kind of cuts away from the band and shows them leaving this venue, getting like, Mm -hmm. what, like 20 something dollars. It's like six dollars a cut. And uh, so this is kind of where we get the setup for now the eventual stuff to come. Uh, Tad tells uh, Pat and Reese. Mm hmm. Uh, Pat Reese and the rest of the band are there and they're talking about, oh yeah, I know this place that my cousin, uh, my cousin Daniel works at. It's, it's, he says, he says, uh, it's what boots and boots and boots and braces. So boots and braces. Boots and braces. And and then he also mentions that their skin, uh, he mentions, well, he mentions the skinheads. Yeah. And you know, he's like, play, play your earlier stuff, your heavier stuff. Going back to what Brittany was saying about how the environment shot, I definitely love the way they set up, especially shots that are used or not used later, but shown mm-hmm. again at a different angle later in the movie. Yeah. And it's really showing the greenery of this area. And then you just get to like this shitty little dive bar in the middle of nowhere. It's so isolated. Um, and they pass by this like, this like gate that's locked up on the way and you can't see what the gate leads to and it reminds me of like when i used to like visit people out in the middle of nowhere in alabama and i was just mm-hmm. like what the fuck like it's it just gave me the heebie-jeebies but the like, foreshadowing yeah, you don't go is past there. those places the oh yeah it's great yeah. i love you, it you hear the dog bark you hear the dog barking yeah and you hear a dog bark and it's like uh, but ah. but i like the way they i like the way they kind of set up like this very serene looking beautiful place yes has just such a shitty little like die like i said a shitty like mm-hmm. i'm not even gonna call it a die bar because it's disrespectful it's just the shitty <laughs> nazi bar i mean yeah and so they show up and they talk to daniel which is tad's cousin who and is- tad had previously mentioned when they were talking oh yeah you know his uh his daniel and his girlfriend who we don't we don't know the name of at the moment in the movie uh they're coming down to crash at tad's actually and they yeah. bring up the girlfriend and daniel goes don't mention her right now or yeah. don't say he, anything about he's her. like no harm no foul but don't say anything about us going anywhere and he was like yeah. oh okay man yeah so um mark weber is daniel uh and he was stephen stills and scott pilgrim versus the world stephen stills is scott's Farron and the lead singer of sex bomb so uh so that's the first time he, one two three four um he was also the lead of the nickelodeon movie snow day um if you guys want that throwback <gasps> Yeah. Oh no. my gosh, Wait, I forgot about he? Snow Day. Yes, I love that movie. Snow I saw it in yeah. theaters. Uh, but he was uh, in 13 Sins, which if you guys have seen it, is surprisingly decent. Um, the Ever After, which he directed, also starred in with his wife, Teresa Palmer. And uh, so yeah, so pretty cool. From like this point now, uh, the band goes inside and they're talking about uh, how the owner doesn't like the hallway being blocked so they mm-hmm. can't set their equipment there. And they, they go into the green room and Pat looks at the rest of the band and goes, hey, I've got a really fucking stupid idea. Oh yeah, because they also put their so, name incorrectly. They say they're the art rights. Yeah, they're the art rights. On the bills. Yeah. And also there's swastikas everywhere. Like, it's just like, oh, this is just well, yeah. lovely. Yeah, and to be Sam's expected. just like, these kids are creeps also we do get to meet gabe who's played by macon blair which we've already mentioned who's in blue ruin and murder party he was the werewolf in murder party whose face got melted if y'all need like he's great and um jeremy saunier didn't want to cast macon blair because he said i don't really see you as a neo-nazi and like he had to convince him to let him he was like no jeremy i really feel like i can please let me be a nazi he let he 
he got fake temporary tattoos because he was so dedicated but he brought proof of his casting to the tattoo artist because they refused to do nazi tattoos which good on them because until they figure out they're like oh it's for a role and it was temporary because they're like fuck no i'm not putting a swastika on you but i think he actually ends up fitting in pretty well he he fits it he fits in as the i think he fits in as that like kind of sheepish guy like yeah. You can tell he's just kind of going with the crowd. Yeah, it wasn't his idea. He, he just kind of followed. It's not his lifestyle. idea, but he's listening to everyone else. Yeah. The band the band gets up on stage to play and they of course the dumb idea Pat had which he was about to chicken out and um Sam <laughs> Sam's like Sam looks over at him and goes, "If you if you chicken out, I'm going to tell all of them you're Jewish." <laughs> it's like, "Oh fuck." And so um, they play, uh, mm-hmm. they play the song by the Dead Kennedys, Nazi Punks, Fuck Off. Fuck off! In one of my favorite covers of all time, and one of my favorite songs, I actually have the single version of this hanging up in my apartment. Um, so Aww. I want to just kind of get onto a little side thing about the origin of this song, because the Dead Kennedys had a song called California Uber Alice that was written, and the issue they had is anytime they performed this song... There were some people that kind of got the joke yeah. of like, oh, ha, 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 you know, funny, we're going to sig hail. But then actual Nazis started showing up to Dead Kennedy shows. So Jello Biafra, the lead singer of um, the lead singer of Dead Kennedys, in 30 minutes wrote this song Nazi Punk Fuck Off because it was not only meant to call out kind of these Nazi assholes that thought California Uber Alice was like a kind of call for the master race. Yeah, which it used to be the Nazi national anthem. It's not, well, that song didn't, but the first well, few lines of the, the Nazi Uber Alice part, German yeah. thing is Uber Alice. Yeah, in 1945, they changed, they changed the German national anthem, surprisingly. I don't know, I don't know what oh, would have led to it, but something happened. happened. You, didn't, you didn't like Reikiness? Like, thank so God. he wrote he wrote this and the biggest thing was is the first time they performed this song, a guy actually got up on stage and tried to fight the entire band of the Dead Kennedys. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Which they weren't really big guys. And, and also the song was written to call out the people that were in the hardcore scene because it's kind of considered one of the first hardcore punk songs, which, yeah. you know, it's this fast tempo like the Nazi punk fuck off is like a minute long song like you know it's like a minute to a minute and a half it was kind of the first hardcore one and a lot of the hardcore crowds are really rowdy and they're kind of violent like they're not like the hardcore crowds now where they actually give a shit about the people around them they would get genuinely violent with each other Um, anarchy so yeah so it's always been one of my favorite songs because it's just a badass song the fact the reason why they wrote it and um just I've all, again. It goes back. I really like the Dead Kennedys. You know, they're they've great. always kind of been just. They're they're great. Uh, they're fantastic, and they're probably one of the best satirical bands out there too. Because a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff they talk about is just it hits the mark, and still a lot of it's relevant. Yeah, but they play the cover of Nazi Punk Fuck Off, which is like just. The most punk rock thing you yeah, can do. It's very it's the funny. the most punk rock thing you can do in it's, this scenario. I mean, it's my favorite moment of the movie. It's so, I'm like, oh yeah, fuck off, Nazi punks. Also, I love at the end, they've had bottles thrown at them. Some guy spits his beer in their direction. 
And uh, it's wor- uh, worm, worm, worm uh, vocalist of cow catcher. Yeah, and yeah. and you see like, and Tiger's just like, thank you, that was a cover, and you're just like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's how you do it. Uh, uh, did you notice that Sam was wearing a Dead Kennedy shirt as well? Sam was up Aww. there wearing a Dead Kennedy shirt. But so at this scene, we're also introduced to Worm um, and we're introduced to the bartender. Yeah, Worm is Brent Worsner, um, but I did not write down um, him. I did not write down what his filmography was. So he was he was Carl in Blue Ruin. Um, he was the Odr- he was O'Driscoll's in Red Dead Redemption 2, which I don't remember that character, but I did play that game. Um, he's on all, on my block currently and he's been in a couple tv shows yeah he's walking with these two girls amber and emily and amber is played by imaged poots yeah who is an unfortunate name but is a very good actress um did you have anything on imogen oh of course uh oh black christmas (laughs) yeah black christmas 2019 um so i thought it was really um cute i didn't realize this uh so she was actually Amy Peterson in the Fright Night remake. So she did serve as a love interest for Anton's Charlie in that movie. So I thought it was cute. They worked Aww. together before. Um, she was Linda Keith in the Hendrick biopic Jimmy. All is by my side. The look of love. Need for speed. A long way down. And most recently she was in The Father with Anthony Hopkins and uh, Coleman. Olivia Coleman. So. Yeah. And also this character is not super big. But Emily is Amber's friend. She's she's important to the role. It's just she doesn't have a lot of screen time, and she she's played by Taylor Tunes, which is a very interesting name. Um, she's in Bogey and Bacall, which looks like maybe it's upcoming. Um, I don't feel at home in this world anymore, which I have heard of. Um, I've heard that's actually really good. It looks like she's done a lot of like independent movies. And she was on four episodes of Entourage. The bands, uh, the art rights or the ain't rights, uh, mm-hmm. finished their set and they're walking back and their stuff has been moved out of the green room. And you know, they bring Big up, like, oh, what about the fire code? And Big Justin's there and he's like, oh, you know, they're the, the headliners here or whatever. And so Cowcatcher, which is, uh, they're, they're a Nazi band. They're going to be assholes. At this moment, Pat realizes that Sam left her phone in the green room and he's like, oh yeah, I'll go in there and get it real quick. And he walks into the room uh, and you know, he does, he's not paying any mind to anything, walks in there, picks up the phone and then looks over and sees Emily dead on the floor with worms standing over her, uh, with a knife in her head. And so Pat in a panic calls 911 to report a stabbing and then Gabe intervenes, uh, taking the phone away from him and hanging up on 911 who then calls back. And, um, now the not, uh, now Gabe is trying to figure out what to do in this scenario. Um, the police are on their way already. Um, when this call is made essentially. And now Gabe's got to kind of figure out how to, Resolve the issue without the body of yes. uh, Emily being found. And I love the way this unfolds, too, because yeah. it happens so fast. Like, everything mm-hmm. happens so fast, you don't have time to think, which is what it would really be like. So it's like, literally, Pat sees it, he tries to get out mm-hmm. the door, they try to grab him, he gets out of his jacket, manages to get the call into the police, and then they yeah. take the phone away from him. And this happens in rapid succession. Yeah. Like, the first time I yeah, watched it's, it's it, like... I was like, oh my god, I can't keep up. So... 
this movie is like a hardcore punk song. Yeah. It's rapid fire, it's fast, it's aggressive. Yes. And then it's over. Once the uh once the call has been made and Gabe an- kind of answers the uh kind of answers the call again from 911, he now has to figure out something so he goes and finds uh as they yeah. call them true believers. Um and he sets these two twi- uh I think they're twins. Yeah. I think it's played I think it's played by the same actor maybe I'm not sure um or if they're I think they're they both very have the similar same looking because uh they pay these two twin or they pay these twins six hundred dollars mm-hmm. to stab each other yeah. or one one to stab the other so when the cops show up they arrest them and then we are introduced la, la, to la. Sir Patrick Stewart in probably one of the most diabolical roles I have ever seen this man in. Because he is so freaking good. Oh my god, yeah. he is the best part of... He is one of the best parts. Of course, Anton Yelchin's performance is great. But Patrick Stewart as the antagonist is just perfect. If you don't know who Patrick Stewart so, is, um, you're under a I box. think if you guys want to get... <laughs> I was going to say... Professor X. Yes, Professor. Say, it's Professor X. Just, it's Picard. It's... It's really funny that there's two there there's are. two Star Trek actors in this movie. Um, and they did spend some time together, but not a lot. Also, Patrick Stewart said when he first read the script, he, like, had to have a drink and, like, turn all the lights on in his house and make sure all the doors were locked because it scared the shit out of him. Because this movie, this movie, the script is chilling. And he, he but he yeah. loved it. And I love how they oh, wait is. to expose him. I think Darcy. Like, because like, he doesn't overshadow anybody. Yeah. And that's hard with such star power in this kind of movie. But yeah, oh, yeah, I love it. He plays the role he should, especially being the person that kind of is the behind the scene behind the scenes person of this club. He you don't want to kind of become a face of this place. Yeah. You want to kind of stay in the shadows. So I think him um him coming into this scene and kind of being as subtle as he is too, you know, playing it off is essentially like, Oh yeah, this is my bit place of business, you know? And he go, uh, the character's name, by the way, is Darcy. I don't think, I don't know if I said that. Um, but Darcy is, uh, the owner of the club that they're in. And now he goes and addresses the band. And so at the current moment, if I'm correct, the people that are in the green room are, the ain't rights, so uh, the entire band, and then Cowcatcher, the entire band, and then Imogen Poot's character uh, Amber, and the corpse of Emily and Big Justin, mm-hmm. and Big Justin is standing guard at the door. Um, with he's just standing guard at the door currently, and uh, this is at this moment. Uh, Sam says, "Oh, you yeah. know, maybe she's Hopefully. not dead." Talking about. Um, Emily's body and Worm walks up because I'm trying to remember is it Pat that says something about oh yeah there's no blood yeah you know there's no blood pulling on the floor and Worm walks over and just kind of like with a lot of struggle and Worm looks like a pretty Mm -hmm. tough guy with a lot of struggle and tugging pulls the knife out of Emily's head which that was inspired by prison documentary Jeremy Saulnier saw that scene was which is terrifying and disgusting oh yeah i I think jeremy's uh the biggest thing that um 
when we get farther in the movie, he, he was able to capture. Cause I think there's also a quote from like Edmund Kemper or someone like a famous serial killer where he, where he talks about, where he talks about when someone dies, like, I think he was like, when you shoot someone, they don't, they don't like bleed out like they do in the movies. They leak to death. And that's kind of how a lot of this movie captures that yeah. part of it. So before he leaves, Wern, um, he, he asks us the ain't rights. He's like, what was that second to the last song? And Pat's like oh, taken yeah. back and he's like toxic evolution. And he admits, he's like, yeah, I, 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 I killed her to that song. And it's like, Ugh. what the fuck? Um, but he leaves, and then Big Justin points the gun at them and tells them, he's like, I, you know, I'll shoot you guys. But the band manages to overpower Big Justin, and then they move a couch in front of the door. They take the gun. And so Darcy, meanwhile, oh, yeah. is out, like, he's enlisting, I think, Clark. The so dog Clark guy. is the, the, yeah. do the dog handler. Yeah, so he enlists his Clark to bring in one of his dogs. And Clark is played by Kai Lennox who was in Beginners with Ian McGregor and Christopher Plummer, unbelievable, and was uh, Matt Kellerman on the Fargo TV show. Um, but he's, And then he finds Daniel. So Darcy finds Daniel. Um, meanwhile, they uh, the Ain't Rights find a sign on the dead girl that translates to Meat Wolf. So they're checking Emily's body, and they find that, that like sign on her, which is, I forgot the actual German for... Oh, fle Fleisch, Me, uh, flesh grinder, flesh I think something. is the name yeah. of it. I, I, think, I know the scene you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I also wanted to add that, like, at this moment, too, uh, you know, Darcy mentions the phrase, like, oh, I only want red laces on this, and, like, the red laces, they're... Those are, yeah, they've, they've spread blood. That's how you get a red lace, apparently, which is gross. Yeah. yeah. Da Daniel's a red, uh, red lace, like... Gabe's not a red lace yet. Big Justin is a red lace, because, you know, they, they kind of make it apparent... With a lot of these people, you know, who is and who isn't, because you'll get like kind of a boot shot of these people. But Darcy's already planning on, they're talk discussing like, oh, who knows this band's here? And they're like, oh, yeah, Tad, uh, Daniel's cousin knows, but that's about it. And they're, you know, talking about their social media presence, which they don't have yeah. one. So it kind of comes to bite them in the ass. Darcy essentially says, I don't want this, the list of names getting any longer of people who knows. And all while this is going on, the bands are still playing. Yeah. Like Calcatcher's playing their set while this is going on. They, they've already, they're already on stage. Like they're still playing. And so what Darcy does, um, because he mentions the phrase, Oh, you know, I don't want any more names being added to this list. Mm -hmm. They cut the power to the venue. So they end the show abruptly so they can empty the venue because the venue's, you know, full. It's got like 80 people, I think, is what they said in the scene. Um, and while the power's out, everyone uh, at this point, Big Justin has been released mm -hmm. from the arm bar that he was in by Reese. And uh, while the power's out, um, Amber lights a cigarette and gives it to Big Justin and says, if you see it move, shoot. Because Reese now mm -hmm. has the gun. Um, and so he's got the gun pointed. Uh, mm -hmm. They've got the gun pointed at Big Justin now. And then when the power comes back on, Darcy is there to negotiate again. Yeah. And and this is the scene that I will say, if you cannot handle this scene, this is mm -hmm. the scene where you tap out of this yeah. movie. This is, this is the scene that you call it here if... Emily's knife scene mm -hmm. didn't get you this next part. Will. Quite um, Darcy's negotiating with Pat to get uh, 
Darcy is negotiating with Pat to get the gun back, you know, kind of using all these reasons. And as he is talking, um, Amber's looking through the slits mm-hmm. in the door that kind of got busted open a little bit earlier. And as Pat is reaching out to hand the gun out to Darcy, Amber looks over and sees the red laces and they proceed mm-hmm. to butcher it's Pat's gross. arm. Yeah. And this scene was, tr- this is so, it's so terrifying because <sighs> it uses, it uses this idea that what you don't see, your your mind can make worse. So you don't see them hacking his arm, but you see Anton Yelchin as Pat's reaction. And there's like this moment where he, he said, hysterically he... screams. He's like, I can't remember. It's like, okay, okay, okay. Or, all right, all right, all right. But it's like. It's like this hysterical. His voice cracking yeah, too when he does it's like it. You you feel the pain Ugh. and then you see the aftermath like of what his, the arm looks like and the hands almost yeah, completely it's severed. So bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's it look it looks like it, his yeah. arm looks like confetti at oh, this it's point. Awful. And so it, it's and the you know the funniest thing is is or not funniest but you know he's the bass player and they slice up his arm um, and I kind of find that to be you know in in tune with something else that happens oh, yeah. in, a, in about i think yeah. less than 10 minutes of the movie's runtime yeah. so after this happens they have the gun and um darcy goes back out to playing with the other red laces of how they're going to handle the rest of the band and so when this happens they Which also this part actually got Big me justin more. Uh, this Reese, Reese, yeah, it's very graphic. Reese snap. So Reese, uh, Reese has put Big Justin back in an arm bar, and when Pat is being attacked, he Ugh. snaps Big Justin's arm and the or arm, and then puts puts him in a chokehold, and he thinks he's knocked him out or he thinks he's taken him out, and he wakes back up and he does it again. Unzips Amber, his stomach with a knife. Uh, or, oh yes. God, yeah, I agree. This scene, uh. Amber yeah. pick no Amber picks up a box cutter. But it's not a knife. It's a box him. cutter. And there, you know, Reese is sitting there like, "How do we know he's out?" And she just goes up his gut, and like you see, yeah. it, the fact that it doesn't, it's, it it's, just it's. And you know, they did almost. a really interesting thing with Amber's character because they were trying to exclude her from a lot of shots because up until this point, they don't really know if they can trust her. And after that, they're like, I, I guess yeah. she's on our side. Then, and this is the moment. Uh, yeah. But she's t- she's so upset because of Emily. It's also very interesting to note that Darcy and Amber are possibly the two most quiet characters in this movie and also the two most terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also want to bring up there's one thing that happens that's, you know, kind of a null thing. But uh, at this moment, because Daniel hasn't seen Emily this entire time and he knows she was there. Yeah. She's not answering her phone. Um, so the band now is trying to find a way out of the gr- out of this green room. And they've discovered a yeah. drug lab in the floor of the green room. And that is why Darcy is wanting to kind of cover up what's happened here. Because if the police end up raiding or finding out a, a murder and investigate, yeah. they're going to probably find this drug lab. So that's what he's more worried about than anything else. Not the body is nothing like that. He's worried about the Which, police finding out about drug this drug lab, lab. Under your super violent club where fights are bound to break out. After they realize that there is no escape from the green room, uh, the band 
you kind of makes some improvised weapons um, out of <laughs> that's my favorite a part. Fluorescent light bulb. So what happens in this scene <laughs> is they've taken this, they take out this fluorescent bulb earlier, and all that happens is is where that corner where the Nazis or the red laces were Sam hiding, does. they it's throw so that light bulb as hard it's as they funny. can. It's funny. It's not like no funny, funny, but it's like ironically funny. What happens is they walk out in the club, and the club is now completely empty. And this is when, as uh, Mr. Burns would say, yeah. uh, release the house. Which, yeah. disclaimer, um, they're using dogs um, illy. Yes. So Tiger, the vocalist, gets his throat ripped out by a dog. And then Reese... Jumps out a window. Um, Reese yeah. runs out of the back of the venue. He jumps out a window and is immediately beaten to death. Which, again, I find the fact that those they're two so deaths... Those deaths are yeah. a drummer getting beaten to death... A uh, bassist getting his arm sliced up, and then mm-hmm. the vocalist getting his throat ripped out. I kind of like the fact that all of their deaths kind of, you know, yeah, are the band, you know, yeah, the instrument they I play. Think, I think real quick watching this the first time, I remember Reese's death was really hard for me because he does what I think anyone would do in that situation. He escapes the room, right? He goes out the window and immediately is caught. Like it's like. Once again, he hits that ground and they're on him, stabbing him. And that's heartbreaking yeah. because I think that's what any person would do in a situation like that. I was that. wondering oh, yeah. why they didn't so, just try to wait it out until morning. Because I feel like if you did wait it out, they might let you go? I don't know. Not let you go, but you might be able to like have the police come back. No, not 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 with, not with how rapidly this situation is amplified. Because you have to remember... From the time Darcy steps on the scene, he is in control of that situation. Or mm-hmm. he's trying his best to be in control. Because it's the same thing that Pat's talking about with yeah. this paintball scenario. You know, the paintball scenario that he keeps bringing up and bringing up and bringing <laughs> up that no one wants to listen to. But it's interesting. Um, it's important. Dar- Darcy is Darcy is the, like, the opposite force that he's talking he's about in the paintball game. The strategy... Yeah, he's the Marine. He's the guy that's done this stuff. Mm-hmm. He's dealt with blood. He's dealt with bodies before, which actually leads into the next thing of it brings to another point that um, so while all this is going on, um, this is when Darcy has found out that uh, Daniel and Emily were a thing and he has now discovered um, that in Daniel's car, he's actually hidden evidence from a another crime that was committed on the property of the club. He had a bloody baseball bat. I think it was. He had some kind of weapon Mm -hmm. that was used in a a previous crime. And Darcy now knows that Daniel has been plotting to leave this entire time. And he actually is thankful for Gabe and worm for kind of this incident that's happened because as Darcy says, you saved us all. Yeah. Or Worm may have saved Which us I, all, actually. Like, the reason he chose neo-Nazis, by the way... Well, one, they are on the punk scene, unfortunately, which is mentioned. But it's it's the militaristic attitude they have more than anything else because they are so organized. Which is terrifying when bad people are organized. Like, you want them to be idiots. But, like, it's terrifying because they are super yeah. organized and militaristic. And pitting them against civilians who aren't is 
really a scary situation. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. do want to mention, so uh, the dog attacks Amber, but her and Pat are able to scare it off yeah. with the Which feedback of microphone. The feedback, yeah. Why Sam uses a fire... Yeah, very smart. Uh, why Sam uses a fire extinguisher to fend off a would-be attacker. But that being said, they fend off their attackers and they go back to the green room. So they're back to where they started, but yeah. now they're down... Uh, now they're down two band members. Two yeah, people. So. And then we kind of start finding out that the eight rights were actually set up to kind of cover up the murder of Emily. You know, you kind of see, especially if you, you watch this movie more than once, you can kind of see the cues like cow catch, uh, cow catcher, Gabe giving worm mm-hmm. a nod about what's about to happen. Um, and, you know, they see on the set list, there's a certain, there's a certain song that's marked, that uh, there was a certain song that was marked on was a cowcatcher set yeah, list. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Sam finds it. Yeah, yeah. Sam finds it, and they were talking about how it essentially felt like it was all planned and no one saw it coming. Um, and so at this point, Daniel and another uh, neo-Nazi comes into the mm-hmm. comes into the green room and confronts everyone, and is like. Who did it? Who killed Emily? And at this moment, it's revealed, you know, to the neo-Nazis what happened. And Daniel's typically the bartender at this bar, so he knows where the shotgun is. So they're walking out there to go get the shotgun because Daniel's like, fuck it, we're going to try to get out of here. And Daniel steps out there looking for ammo. And as soon as he looks for ammo, Daniel's gone. The sudden and quick death that Daniel gets at this moment in the movie, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a jump scare. It, it's a sudden jump scare almost because it is just so quick. And the backup bartender then comes in to try to finish off uh, Pat, Sam, and um, mm-hmm. Pat, Sam, Amber. and Amber. And Pat is luckily able to pick up a machete that Daniel had because Daniel's yeah. the one that brings the machete in and s- takes a swing and is able to hit the bartender in the throat and take him out of commission. Um, but then at this moment, uh, cause they were, they were in there to kill the feedback yeah. so the dogs could come back in uh, to the club because Darcy's trying to set it up where it looks like the band was going to siphon gas from one of his vehicles yeah. and the dogs attacked him. I'm trying to remember what happens to Imogen Poots in the scene or Amber's character. She gets shot in the leg. Sam, Tries to, takes out yeah, one of the dogs. Yeah, she takes it, out one Sam, of the dogs with the shotgun. Sam dies. And then, Wait, does no, she, she kill doesn't the kill the dog. She shoots, she, no, she doesn't. She injures the shoulder, because remember, afterwards, he gives it, like, the adrenaline shot. So he's like, right, that's not what I'm much longer. But she fatally should shoots it. Hours. So Sorry. she injures the dog. I should, I should yeah. have, I should have rephrased that. She fatally yeah. shoots the dog as it's attacking her, and then it kills her before it dies. But then they give it yep. an adrenaline shot, and they're like, it'll be fine. Um, I did want to bring up one point that I forgot to mention is after the club shuts down the show, uh, Darcy also gives, I will not be reciting this line that Darcy says, but gives Cowcatcher some um, uh-huh. drugs mm-hmm. so they can overdose. Because that is his plan is to take care of Cowcatcher as well because they have essentially brought yep. hell down on the club. Um, so at this point, uh, Amber talks to Pat and goes, all right, so I want to hear, mm-hmm. you know, this paintball story that you haven't been able to tell. 
And so he talks about his buddy that they're playing against this, like, you know, army vet troop that's just slaughtering them every round of paintball. And they have one friend that just runs out there, guns blazing, and takes them all out. And they don't lose that last round. And so uh, they bring they bring the dogs back in and these like so it's Gabe, Gabe, and then is it two more? Yeah, it's two more. Uh, two more red laces are brought in. Um, and so Gabe's kind of just playing housekeeper. He's cleaning up the club, <laughs> like getting rid of the blood and all that kind of stuff. He's essentially like playing maid while these other two mm-hmm. are going to go finish off Pat and Amber. And so Pat kind of plays this distraction game of luring mm-hmm. uh, one of them down while Amber hides in the couch, which has one of the best shots from the trailer, seeing the box cutter kind of, come out of the couch and she comes up behind this uh, Nazi mm-hmm. and slices his throat. I didn't realize too the first time I watched it is that like a patch shaves off all of his hair to mm-hmm. look like one and confuse mm-hmm. him. I didn't realize that. I was like what the fuck yeah. is going on? But then I'm like oh my god the second time I watched it I was like he shaved his hair off to yeah. look like a neo-Nazi and it fucks him up for a minute. They're like wait what's going on? So. Yeah. And he's he's essentially being as loud as possible and they're, you know, counting the amount of shots the uh the one with the shotgun has left. And so they finish off these two ways. Nazis. Um and kind of Yeah, like what you know, the one gets his throat slit, but the way that Amber makes this guy waste shots is she dangles like is it Big yeah. Justin at yeah. one point dangles Big Justin's body down and he like puts two mm-hmm. shots into it or a shot into it and drops his body and they're counting off. And this guy's getting more frustrated and more upset. And Amber's actually the one that mm-hmm. ends up finishing off both yeah. of them. Pat doesn't, Pat doesn't finish off this guy. Pat, um, Pat, you know, just mm-hmm. doesn't do anything. He's kind of the distraction. Yeah. Um, and then as they're climbing back out of this hole where this meth lab or whatever it is, the drug lab is, Gabe sitting there in apron, <laughs> an apron with like all this cleaning stuff, just mopping up blood. And he's like, he's essentially at this point, um, kind of, uh, yeah, kind of like done with everything. Mm-hmm. Like he wants yeah. out cause he didn't realize it would be like this. And I think that's actually something he says. Like, he didn't realize things would be like they were. Um, Which he surrenders to them, basically. Yeah. And then they start going through the woods. And they have him at gunpoint. Yeah, they have him at gunpoint, but they let him go. He, to call the, he walks away, yeah. and I think it's to essentially report. Because he actually yeah. is like, oh, yeah, I'll, I know where a farm is. I'm going to go report to the authorities. Um, let me know or something. You know, yeah. I'll send them this way. So at this point, Darcy and the uh, some of the other red laces and the dog handler all back at Darcy's place, setting up the uh, dead members of the yeah. rights to look like they were stealing gas. Um, and at the same time, we're getting intercuts of the the last the dog um, that fled from the club when the feedback came back on, making its way back to. Um, making its way back to Darcy's yeah. house. And as this is happening, uh, Pat and Amber essentially get the upper hand on them because they yeah. expected them to be dead. 
Um, and it's one of my favorite quotes, too, because he see he looks at Darcy and he says it's funny. Yeah. So scary at night. I, I had that one written down, too, because I love that quote. Um, so then after Dar- Darcy essentially says, if you're going to fucking shoot me, shoot me. And he starts walking away, getting ready to pull out a gun and turn around and shoot him. And mm-hmm. if I'm correct, this is mm-hmm. when Pat finally gets blood on his hands, right? Like four times. Pat Pat shoots him. Or no, no, Amber, shoot, Amber shoots first. Amber shoots first in this scene too, if I'm correct. Because there, one of them was questioned. I think it was Amber. Yeah, Maybe, thought- no, it was Pat that shot first. Because Amber was like, what happened to, you know, taking him in? And Pat yeah. was like, I really don't give a shit anymore, <laughs> essentially. Um, and so it cuts over to, um, it cuts over, we're kind of getting like mm-hmm. wrap ups to the rest of the story. So we get a shot of Cowcatcher and Worm is actually still alive while mm. the other members have overdosed. Yeah, and and that was set up by because that wasn't a plot. I realized in a second. Darcy. Yeah, Dar- Darcy set it up for them because he essentially they yeah. they outlived their usefulness. He wanted to get rid of them. And then you see the dog kind of go and lay down next to Darcy, Clark, uh, and, Ca- or the uh, Carl. No, not Darcy, Car- the dog Carl. Carl and is laying yeah. down next to its owner. Yeah, to die. exactly. Because it's, it's at the end of its. They life. do tell. So they do sad. just tie the dog up. They don't like kill the dog. No, no, that's, that's the thing, that's the thing that Darcy says is to Carl early on in the movie is he says something along the lines of like, I don't care how many dogs you have to go through, you know, cause he mentions the prices of his dogs. Uh, he's like, you know, 20,000 for a fighter and I can't send in two fighting dogs at the same time. Cause you know what they'll do. Yeah. Um, and so he, he kind of mentions that and, uh, Darcy's response is like, Oh, you know, I'll, I'll pay you whatever. You know, as long as long as long as this is resolved, I can pay you but forever. But when the dog is kind of sad, like because Carl, when the dog gets injured by Sam, when she shoots it right before it takes her out, and he gives her that injection, um, Darcy tells Carl, "Thank you." He's like, "Don't thank me, t- thank him." And he motions to the dog, and he's like, "You know, this should last you." He injects the dog. He's like, "This should last him a little bit longer, but let him die happy." And then it's insinuated with meat in his uh, with meat yeah. in his teeth is what they but say. But then it's insinuated that he, the dog, maybe did die happy because he was with yeah. his owner when he died, which kind of yeah. gives yeah. Um, which like that scene is like really hard because it's essentially it kind of almost plays mm-hmm. back into the mentality the Nazis have too. It's like no matter how much abuse some of those people had been through, they yeah. always would go yeah. back. Um, and so the final shot of the movie is mm-hmm. Anton Yelchin's character Pat sitting next to Amber, and he finally has an answer for the desert island question. Uh, the Desert Island band question and Amber's response is <laughs> tell it to someone who gives then... a shit. <laughs> and it cut, uh, it, yeah, it cuts <laughs> to, uh, it cuts to the credits, which like, um, this is just such a like quick and easy movie. I know the discussion oh, but, probably well, went on a little bit longer. Well, no, what, what's the credits? It's, such a it's good movie. CCR. Yeah. CCR, which I, I find hilarious because we, we were we were talking about uh, we were talking about the fact that um, CCR uh, or not CCR uh, we were talking about the fact that the trailer had Bad Moon Rising a cover of it, so it kind of plays into the whole thing. I, I was I was I was kind of curious about um, 
mainly uh your thoughts Brittany. uh i would like to hear yours kind of first okay um so my 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 pros the big thing is was how often the script subverts expectations uh so just a few samples pat is graphically injured at the beginning of the movie leading the audience to believe he may die but he survives Mm -hmm. the end of the movie uh Mm-hmm. Amber and Pat have no hint of a romance during the movie. Sam's in a band. Oh, yeah. Sam's in a band with a bunch of guys. She's not involved with any of them romantically. The dog. It's like Kim from Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. yeah. Well, Kim was involved with Scott at one point. So poor Kim. Yeah. I know. I know. But um, the dog left wondering does not attack Amber or Pat, mm-hmm. which is something else you think that this dog is out wondering is going to eventually attack them. It doesn't. It walks right by them. Um, the band is vastly mm-hmm. unprepared to fight the neo-Nazis, and many of yeah. them die because of it. So there's all these all these things we are used to in the horror genre that is subverted in this movie, and I like that. Mm-hmm. It kept you guessing. You think someone like Reese would be the one that would survive because you know he's like he you know he, he knows jujitsu and like actually yeah. does a lot of damage to Big Justin, but it's the fact that like you were saying earlier, it's like he had the normal human response of seeing what happened, like watching someone, you know, being mauled to death by a dog. That's rough. And I agree. The fact that like, it kind of also shows the fact that the dog doesn't attack because it's not being forced or commanded to attack. It's just Mm -hmm. following what it's being told. And it's kind of like that dog is Gabe. Yeah. Gabe Mm -hmm. is, that dog in the end of the movie, he's listening Mm -hmm. to what he's been told this entire time. And then when he finally realizes and is able to think for himself or just be himself, he goes, I don't want to fucking do this. That I think, I think that I think the dog and Gabe are supposed to essentially have that same ending because Gabe doesn't want to be a part of it either. Neither does that dog. It's important to note they never attack until they're given their attack word. Like it's a command. Uh, Katie, if you want to go, uh, uh, sure. Your pros and cons. Um, I agree with everything Um, Britt said. Of course, it's just I. I love it. I love the cinematography and, of course, all the performances. But Jeremy Saulnier has absolutely gorgeous cinematography. He always has. I mean, Murder Party, like the actual like action sequences. I wouldn't say were pretty, but like. The beginning where, like, the, the invitation is blowing through the wind and he's walking past all the Halloween stuff. And then, like, the next morning when he's walking with the sunrise, beautiful cinematography. And I also like that even though there are very brutal kills, it's not gore porn. Like, either, yeah, either, like, the only scene that lingered linger. like, was the throat opening, but it was shadowed. So you really couldn't see the blood. You could just see that it was there it was in shadow. And I love that there's some dry comedy in there, too. Like, so it's not... Yeah. I mean, it is really hard to get through. But I've seen it several times now, and it doesn't, like, bring down my spirits to watch it, you know? Blue Ruin is a little different. Blue Ruin's a little more depressing. But it ends okay. What about you? I personally, uh, I genuinely enjoy this movie. I mean, I I chose it because it was kind of my gateway, like I said earlier. It was my gateway into kind of... This, I'm going to say a different genre of horror, because like for the longest time I was a slasher guy and I do like the fact that this gore or I'm not going to say even the gore, the the quick brutality of this movie. It's as I was saying earlier, Mm -hmm. it's like a hardcore punk song. This movie is a fast, rapid fire movie and its characters, as we're saying, you know, Darcy is the commandos or mm-hmm. whoever they played in the paintball game or the punk 
band is the kids that are playing paintball against them. Um, I like the fact that it's like that. I like, you know, like you were saying, that ineptitude of these, you know, just people who've never been in the scenario actually being able to overcome it. Not yeah. without loss, though. You know, they're not coming out of this unscarred, unscarred or, you know, even altogether. It's they've lost people and they really, in all honesty, when I say get revenge, they don't. You know, this isn't a movie where when the ending happens, you're sitting there going, yeah, they did it because you can still feel the fact that the characters are mm -hmm. still in pain. Like Amber's character at the end of the movie is in pain because of everything she's been through. And Pat, you know, tries to lightheartedly play it off. But, you know, Pat's also fucked yeah, up from yeah. it, too. He's just trying to kind of brush off everything that happened. Um, and I personally... I, I mean, if we're going to get into ratings, yeah. you know, just a out of 10, I would probably give this movie an 8 out of 10 because it doesn't fall into a cardinal sin of mine, which is a movie that stays around mm -hmm. longer than it's welcome. Yeah. It starts and it finishes fast. It gets what it wants to do across very rapid, very quickly. And it it, it is great even on subsequent watchings. I mean, this is the first time I've watched it more than two times in a week and being able to kind of get even more of the story and kind of realizing like, Oh, here's the deeper story. And here's, you know, things that I may have missed on this first viewing. It's a movie that yeah. also rewards you for multiple watches. Uh, I also gave it an eight, eight out of 10. It's not, it's not a parasite nine, but I think it's quite the thing. Uh, I love it. It held up to my expectations. Pa I mean, parasite, oh, parasites oh, hard to overcome. So good. Um, yeah, but I really, really like this movie. It's I have uh, constantly badgered people to watch it, <laughs> and um, it's one of those movies that I'm not ashamed to tell yeah. people. Like, like a parasite, like an old boy, like Raw. I'm like, you should at least watch it once and figure out if it's the movie for you because it's really, it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I know that Hold the Dark didn't do as well. I think, yeah. and I haven't gotten to see Hold the Dark yet, but I hope Jeremy Saulnier keeps doing movies i think he is working on something because i he's one of my favorite directors like modern eras because everything he does is quality it's great so what about you Britt? i also gave it an eight out eights all around <laughs> i think what did you guys give misery uh you gave it an eight yeah right, i did yeah and it's a little more near and dear to my heart five, so i mean yeah sol solid good movies christmas yeah. movies <laughs> This movie's always been near and dear to my heart because, like I was saying, it was kind of the one that introduced me to the smaller, mm -hmm. more tightly budgeted horror movies. You know, it it did something that, number one, it talked about a genre of music I loved since I was really young and I still really like to this day. It's also the fact that it's just it's such a just ride. It, it, yeah. It's it's the it's a thrill ride. You know, I hate to use that probably, I hate to use that thing that was probably a tagline for the poster, but it is. It's, you know, you mm -hmm. get that really, really nice incline and then it drops you down and you're on a ride. I think ride that's why I'm you surprised it wasn't as, end. like, uh, released as widely. I guess it was because A24 didn't have the budget they have now to, like, wide release stuff. Right. A24 wasn't the A24 as it is now. It's, it, you know, this is... This movie came out when I think Blumhouse was yeah. kind of becoming a thing, but not really a thing yet. Because um, I, you know, recently I looked up like <laughs> the Blumhouse kind of <laughs> dominion that has formed. 
And it's like Blumhouse, I think from like the early 2000s made like 10 movies. And it's like, oh yeah, they've made like 99 movies now. They're like making 99 movies. Yeah, it's like from the year 2000 to the year to like 2010, they made like 12 movies. And it's like they've made like over 100. Greatly varying quality, which is not to be said for A24 because A24, uh, they don't do movies as often as Blumhouse, obviously, but they're all quality. Um, all right. So, uh, do we want to do Grindhouse Girls ratings? Yes, Dalton, you're our guest. Would you like to go first? Um, so I've got two. Okay. Uh, this one was actually very hard. Um, so I've got D is for Dead Kennedys, Desert Island Bands, oh, and I like Dogs. That. <laughs> and then I have, and then I have B is for Box Cutters, Boots, and Bullets. Okay. How about, funny enough, I had D... For duct tape, dogs and desert island bands. Oh, I like that too. I wanted to do duct tape. I wanted to do duct tape. Uh, I just I did the second one kind of for funsies because I was like, books, box cutters, and bullets because they have that whole conversation about the difference between bullets and uh, cartridges. Yeah. Nice. Uh, uh, what about you, Katie? I think my favorite one I did was rated S for siphons, skinheads, and sticking it to Nazi punks. Hi. Thanks. That's a pretty good one too. Which one's which one's the favorite, y'all? That's hard. I like Dalton's first one well, with the dogs. Really hard one. Yeah. Yeah. D's for Dead Kennedys, Desert Island Bands, and Dogs. Oh, I like yeah, that. I one, like yeah. that one. You got Dead Kennedys in there. Okay, I guess with that, it's time to pick next week's mm-hmm. movie, which I think is gonna be our official last episode movie, although I don't know if we'll do like a short thing. Of, like, maybe our best movies for the year. I'm throwing it out there. But it we're not going to do, like, a full-on episode after this one until January of 2022. So, Britt, what movie are you picking? So, we had to go with something. So, the idea with Green Room, <laughs> haha, was that it kind of fits into the theme of green. Like, red and green are Christmas. Uh, which is one of the reasons Dalton picked it. But we are keeping on that Christmas tradition, and we are doing Yay. Better Watch Out, which is a little Christmas horror gem. Um, it is on mm-hmm. Amazon Prime mm-hmm. and Shudder, so you can stream it on either or right now. Please watch it. Do not read the movie as a nice little twist. Right. We wouldn't want it ruined for you. But check it out before the next episode. I'm excited. I, I love this one. Yeah, I know you do too, we Katie, both so. watched it independently yeah. last year and discovered this little gem. So it's one we want to share with you. Um, we've had so much fun with our guests. Please follow Dalton. Do you want to plug? Did you already plug your um streaming channel? Uh, I plug I plugged okay. a little bit. Er, uh, I plugged a little bit early on. Um, but uh, I'll do it one last time. Um, uh, it's TikTok. Uh, is Infernal Anatomy. My Instagram is Infernal Anatomy. Um, that's typically where I post stuff. I just do a lot of gaming content. Uh, like I was saying earlier. Um, yeah, and I appreciate any follows or likes uh, that come my way. Um, and please continue to support this podcast because these are two oh, lovely and amazing human you. beings. Um, and they always put their heart and soul into it. And that's the part that matters the most. Um, I, oh. You guys just kind of rock. I, I I wanted to pay you guys compliments while I was on here because I appreciate you guys no, having me on. thank you for coming um, on. Yeah, we of course. You. And you give such thank great you. feedback. You guys, as I was saying earlier, you guys have improved so vastly since you guys started. And it's just like, it's cool to see because it's like you've learned from mistakes, you fixed errors, and you continue to persist and make the content that you want to make. And that's the thing I will always encourage my friends to do to the end of days is make the content you want to make. As long as it makes you happy, that's what you deserve. 
Thank you. That's so sweet. Thank you so much. And thank you for the yeah. encouragement. That is That's always so, so kind. Of course. So. Yeah. We appreciate you. You're an amazing human being. Uh, You've always been an amazing person to talk to. One of my favorite people to talk to when I do actually have the chance to talk to you. So thank you. Yes. Um, thanks, guys, as always, for listening, liking, commenting, subscribing, sliding into our DMs. There's a few of you brave <laughs> enough to do it. We appreciate you. Um, please go follow Dalton, uh, who is known as Infernal Anatomy. Uh, they are on Instagram. They are on TikTok. Uh, please give Ryan a shout-out and some love. He is on Instagram as the, the Moody Muse. Uh, Moody Muse. Uh, so uh, we love you, Ryan. Thank you again. Uh, thank you again, Dalton. We love you, too. Thanks for always being so supportive of us. Thank you for coming on. Uh, thank you, guys, for joining us. Uh, it is a hard time of year for a lot of people. Um, please know there's people out there that love you and appreciate you and are so glad you're here. We're glad you're here with us. Thank you so much for giving us a small part of your day. Um, drink water. This is a reminder. You have to stay hydrated. You beautiful, thirsty, dehydrated <laughs> bitch. Drink your water, please. Um, so, uh, yes. And don't forget to eat some fruits and vegetables. We all love sweets, but come on, guys. You got to get some fruits and veggies in there every once in a while. Um, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Love each other. As always, um, we just look forward to seeing you. Same spoopy time. Same spoopy Stay channel. spoopy, y'all. Stay spoopy, y'all. Night. Stay spoopy, y'all. Bye, everybody. Night. Bye. <laughs>